0: Oh hey, it's Sheila gunn I bet you're expecting the melodious vocal stylings of Ezra Levant since this is the Ezra Levant show. But no, I'm filling in for the boss today as he is busy. Today we are talking about how it is absolutely insane that Dr. Teresa Tam made a mistake that cost the taxpayer million just in cargo flights over the course of three months. And for some reason, it's not a bigger scandal than it should be. And for some reason, that abject failure still has her job. I'll go back through the historical record to explain how this all got to this point. And then we're talking to Rebel News reporter Celine Gallus. She's based out of Calgary and she went undercover at a drag queen story hour. Yes she did so we didn't have to. Now, the show is great to listen to, but if you'd love to watch it early and ad-free, might I suggest you become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. That's what we call our daily paywalled shows here at Rebel News. The Daily Show, of course, is the Ezra Levant Show. You also get access to my Wednesday show, The Gun Show, David Menzies' Friday night show, Rebel Roundup, Andrew Chapados's show, Andrew Says, and Kat and Nat's show, Misunderstood. For all of that, it's just 8 bucks a month. And for our podcast listeners, you can save an extra 10% on a new Rebel News Plus subscription by using the coupon code PODCAST when you subscribe. It's really easy. Just go to rebelnewsplus.com to become a member today. And now, please enjoy this free audio-only version of Ezra's show. One Dr. Teresa Tam cost the taxpayers $120 million over the course of three months. So, why hasn't this abject failure been unceremoniously fired yet? It's August 22nd, 2022. I'm Sheila Gunn Reid, and you're watching The Ezra Levant Show.
1: Shame on you, you censorious thug.
0: The Public Health Agency of Canada exists to prepare the country for pandemics. It was formed in the wake of a pandemic, the SARS outbreak, about two decades ago. And its only job, its only real reason for being is to be ready to mobilize a national response to an abnormal outbreak of disease. That's it. But like any government agency, it experiences mandate creep. It starts to mind business that it was never supposed to. But the Public Health Agency of Canada has that one single mandate, be ready for a pandemic. And to do that, they must keep six months of essential medical supplies on hand. But as we've learned over the course of these last two years, the Public Health Agency of Canada wasn't ready for anything. Let's go back to the very beginning of the coronavirus pandemic. And before I go on, I'm not disputing or agreeing with the severity of the coronavirus pandemic. I'm looking at this through the severity lens that the Public Health Agency of Canada looks at the pandemic. And they say the coronavirus was severe enough to lock us in our homes, fine us for being outside, close our churches, spy on all the cell phones in the entire country without the cell phone users' knowledge or consent. They banned us from traveling. They locked us both inside and outside of our own country. They think it's pretty damn serious. So let's remember how serious they think the pandemic is as we go through all these failures. Do you remember at the beginning of the pandemic, when the Public Health Agency of Canada had a sudden shortage of gowns and other personal protective equipment for medical professionals in this country? I sure do. Now, the reason for that was a failure at the agency. The pandemic preparedness agency just simply forgot or failed to rotate the national stockpile in several warehouses, including one in Saskatchewan, which resulted in the gowns and gloves expiring and then just being tossed in the garbage and this was happening as the agency was closing warehouses as a cost-saving measure because you know the government can't even be fiscally responsible properly. Now in the wake of all that the government was forced to then overpay for replacement PPE as costs were driven up through pandemic demand. The Canadian Taxpayers Federation estimated the inflation of the PPE cost to have nearly tripled the cost of a single N95 mask. Oh, but that's not all. It's never all. What Canada did have on hand in the strategic stockpile, then Justin Trudeau voluntarily gave it to China to deal with the coronavirus outbreak there on the assurance that we would get masks back from China when we needed them. And Trudeau did this all without an objection from Dr. Theresa Tam, the person in charge of pandemic supplies. But then when we did need those masks, again, need, according to the federal government's determination, the cargo planes we sent to China to retrieve our supplies languished on the tarmac before coming back empty. Between empty cargo planes the first time around and tossed out supplies, Canada had to go fishing around the world to get access to medical PPE to deal with the pandemic, and mask mandates suddenly popping up all across the country because it wasn't just doctors and nurses anymore wearing masks in a medical setting. They wanted everybody to do it. Kids in school, flipping burgers, grocery shoppers, cashiers, everyone, everywhere, all the time, wear a mask or you'll get a ticket, which... Takes us to how much money the federal government had to spend to fix the mess. Dr. Teresa Tam, the person in charge of all of this and her lack of oversight created at the Public Health Agency of Canada. Now, this is going to blow your mind. It's from Blacklocks today, a subscription that is absolutely worth every penny. Air cargo flights of Chinese medical supplies cost taxpayers $120 million in the first 90 days of the pandemic, say access to information records. Federal agencies said they had no choice but to charter planes after failing to maintain a national stockpile of masks, gloves, and medical gowns. The Department of Public Works in a June 10, 2020, staff memo detailed millions spent on cargo fees to fly emergency shipments of goods from suppliers in China. Contracts included $15 million each to Air Canada, WestJet, First Air and PAL Aerospace and $60 million to Cargo Jet of Hamilton, Ontario. Political aides at the time complained of costly air cargo fees. The cost of flying one cargo plane from China to Canada is between $600,000 and $800,000, said an April 1, 2020 staff email in the Prime Minister's office. Bellori Logistics was paid $30 million to arrange China deliveries and warehousing. Deloitte was paid $9.6 million to manage shipments of Covid supplies. Teresa Tam screwed the Canadian taxpayer to the tune of $120 million in the first 90 days of the pandemic, just on charter flights. That doesn't include the cost of supplies at an inflated cost to replace the ones that she oversaw the disposal of because her team didn't rotate the national stockpile properly. What a failure. Imagine making a $120 million screw up, probably closer to $300 million at your job and still keeping your job. But not just keeping your job, being lauded as a hero, what planet are we on? And that doesn't even take into account the economic fallout all across the country because the nation was suddenly caught flat-footed without medical supplies and nobody knew how bad it was. So the government just overreacted and locked people down. You don't think Teresa Tam's failure of maintaining the national stockpile played into any of that at all? I'd say it's the number one contributing factor outside of government's desire to control everything you do in a day. $120 million worth of bar in 90 days. Your family thrown into out-of-control debt, your small business forced to close, but No matter, because Teresa Tam just got a raise two months ago, a $60,000 raise up to $324,000 a year after she cost the taxpayer a cool $120 million for her ineptitude. I think she should be fired, and that's why I'm proud to say we started a petition over two years ago. You see, at Rebel News, we're early adopters of good ideas. You can still sign that petition at firetam.ca. But it's nice to see after two years of more facts rolling in and hindsight being 2020, Tam is even worse and more fireworthy than we could have ever imagined. But liberals being liberals, they've rewarded her for being a loyal foot soldier in the war on Canadian freedoms. Stay with us. Rebel News reporter Celine Gallus joins us to update us on her story about the war for the minds of Canadian children. After the break. This past summer, the season that lasts three months long, really wasn't called summer anymore. It was called Pride season. Instead of having a week or even a month devoted to pride-related activities, the whole summer was co-opted. And I think I'm one of those people who says, live and let live, just leave me alone, don't use the government to make me care. But I start caring when public funds are used and little kids are involved. And as you know, there has been a, a real uptick in the idea of a drag queen story hour in municipal libraries all across North America. I've yet to see any credible evidence about having a drag queen read to little children and having that somehow relate to increased childhood literacy rates that would necessitate government spending on such a program. And my friend Celine Gallus, who is one of our Calgary based Rebel News reporters, dug a little deeper on this issue to find out exactly how much municipal money is going to Drag Queen Story Hours. And Celine joins us now. Hey, Celine, how's it going? Good. How are you doing? Great. Now, you did a little bit of undercover work over the course of the summer. I don't wanna to give too much of it away, but you attended a drag mm-hmm. event. Tell us a little bit about that without, again, giving too much away. Um, I was shocked. And I
2: kind of, you know, I planned beforehand what I what I thought it would be like uh, before going in, and I was still shocked. so there's that. um, just like you're saying, there's not much in the way that I find that it's helpful in any way for children to be exposed to stuff like that. Um the reading in general isn't like Dr. Seuss or you know, there's definitely no green eggs and ham. it's it's books where it's it, it's straight up right in kids' faces. It, it's about um transgenderism. It, it's about, you know, Dressing up if you're a boy, making it okay. There was some titles like Sparkle Boy, My My Mom, My Dad, and My Other Dad, and and all these obscene, obscure titles that children don't have any business reading or or being privy to, in my opinion, at least. So uh beyond that, just the overall thematic sense of being there, the being exposed to just that energy and watching the parents like clap and and have their parent their their children, pardon me, um go forward, encouraging them to participate in the behavior. I think that was the hardest part for me um, to like keep my cover and not, uh, not blow it myself because it was very difficult to, to be quiet and watch parents um, literally incite this, uh, this propaganda, this indoctrination.
0: Yeah. It, it does feel a lot like indoctrination and you know, the, I, I, as a mom, I I've raised three, fairly normal, depends on the day it is though and what they're wearing, kids. Um, And I just feel like this is an early introduction into confusion that little kids don't need. It's a topic their little brains cannot understand yet. They don't understand the concept of being alive. They don't understand the concept of death. They're just kind of, for some of these kids that are so little, they're just sort of becoming self-aware and already we're starting to confuse them about things and i i just i worry so much about what i think is a bit of a societal experiment on the youngest most vulnerable amongst us
2: yeah no absolutely um to touch on that more i think the worst part again is just seeing that there's it's children that are like toddlers or even younger than that. There's like literally new newborn babies that, that families brought in. And then there's, you know, older children that are obviously in like junior high. And then the people that are in high school, obviously, you know, if you're above 18, you can go and do whatever you want to do, participate how you will. Um, But it's all age ranges. And I didn't see one child that was, maybe some of them were confused, you know, like sitting in front of the the two drag queens, um, I'll have videos to include, uh, in the next A-tip that I, uh, will be releasing as well. But without going more into that, um, the children, some of them were confused and some of them were just like, I think it's the awe. I think it's the shock, especially because when you're so young, I don't think that they're actually realizing that it's a man and it's not a woman that's actually reading to them or is underneath that wig and all the makeup, especially because, you know, they, they have the, the synthetic body parts that they like to put on. Um it's it's really outlandish and wild to me. It's um I think that it sets children up to think of women in a sexualized manner as well. And then when you're encouraging that behavior and you're encouraging kids to come in um not just be a part of story time, but again, I'll throw to those videos that we've seen before. Children that go to these all-age events and they're exposed to uh, nudity or partial nudity. If uh, they're the ones that are dancing and being encouraged to, you know, not have as many clothes on for the sake of inclusion because it makes them seem like uh, they're a part of this show and it's a fun thing. All of that encouragement is is really sick, and I think that uh, in the future we're going to see a lot of. Uh, repercussions for stuff like that but also the damages i think we don't even understand them because when you're that young and you're being programmed to that extent i mean it's the building blocks for who you become as an adult it's shaping their views right now and they don't have a chance unless we we do some more work to expose this agenda
0: you know you made a really interesting point right there and you just sort of glossed over it because it was so common sense but um we are teaching young people that women are this cartoonish costume Mm -hmm. Um, and it's really odd because it comes from the same side of the argument who's so like body positivity like that's also their side of the debate and that nobody can define what a woman is but then you also have on the same side this cartoonish stereotypical female costume Mm -hmm. that we are teaching Little kids, that's actually a woman. I think that's a really interesting point. No, exactly.
2: And like, why is it okay for a man to dress that way? Um, Just to point out, um, and I don't want to... No, no, for the sake of this, I feel like I should just touch on it because I I thought it was... The hypocrisy was insane to me. But one of the drag queens that was there, um, his dress their dress was shorter Um, and he had super dark, long leg hair. It it was very apparent. It was very obvious. And yet, you know, he presumed to dress as a woman, to appear as a woman. If let's say, for example, this is just so minute and it's really just scratching the surface. But if a woman decided to don hair like that, because some women do, uh, they would be judged. Right. But for the sake of inclusion, men can do stuff like that, or they can literally show their fake body parts off, you know, to whatever extent that they would like to, not just in front of adults, but in front of children and not be dressed, uh, not be, um, criticized or ostracized for it, but encouraged. And if a woman did that, you would never hear the end of it. Like, that's why, like using the example of, of never bringing your child to a, a hetero bar or a strip club, if you wouldn't do that, then why is it okay for you to do it in front of a man or bring them to an LGBTQ situation where they say it's all ages, but it's, it's absolutely not. I know that Alexa Lavwashi interviewed um one of the drag queens in the community that had a lot to say about it and and uh and they agreed entirely that it's totally inappropriate. And why would you even want to bring a child into such a, a raunchy uh nighttime club setting that has no place for children at all, ever?
0: Yeah, I, I think it's just so strange that, you know, th- this is the same side of the argument that says we shouldn't be sexualizing women. Um depicting women or at least people who dress up as women in this hyper-sexualized, overly exaggerated femininity way with over-the-top makeup and over-the-top costumes and, you know, prosthetics all over the place to make your body appear more female. Um, But those are also the same people who say, you know, that you shouldn't be sexualizing women, but yet they depict us in the most over-the-top sexualized ways. Now, getting to some of the investigative work that you've done. So you went undercover. We've got a report coming out about that so that people like me who would never attend one of these things in a million years can see firsthand what actually goes on instead of what the media and the activists tell you goes on in these things but you also filed for access to information one of my very favorite things to do and you discovered just how much money I think it is the city of Calgary puts up Mm -hmm. um, with regard to promoting and facilitating drag queen story hours in municipal libraries. So it's not just enough that this stuff is happening and that people could choose to take their children there. There's a moral argument for why you shouldn't, but if it's it's not my concern largely if I'm not paying for it. But the City of Calgary taxpayers are paying for it. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, so the the total came up to, uh, I believe it was just over $70,000 that they were allotted to allow these people to travel around and to spread this false information and to go into, I, I believe that they also, it's it's all those books that were like a conglomerate. So each time that they went to these libraries, they also, they dropped off, you know, how many of these books where it, it's, again, Sparkle Boy is always the title that stands out to me because it's just it's so insane and they did also come under budget about uh $10,000 as well we're not sure where that money goes obviously um if it'll be put back into the next uh drag queen show of of readers that want to go and indoctrinate children i'm not entirely sure but $70,000 is absurd for something like that um, how the costs are broken down and and how it's even how it's allowed in general it just is so nonsensical to me like i'm not sure if you know, I know that you agree, Sheila, but for the audience as well, you know, these are some questions that I think that we need to be asking the people that are in control of these different things that happen within our government, why they're allowing this, what their agenda is. I think it's it's very valid and that we should definitely have people understand that on, a, on the most deep and intrinsic level.
0: Yeah. And again, as I said off the top, if they could prove to me that there's some sort of Result in increased childhood literacy rates that you have a man dressed as a woman reading to your children. I'm willing to hear that argument. Again, I have a moral disagreement with it, but at least if you could demonstrate some sort of positive outcomes by way of childhood literacy, at least, at least you'd have some net positive there somewhere. Mm -hmm. But I'm not seeing that. Nobody's ever produced that. They just want to read to little children dressed as women. I think that's peculiar, and I'm not sure that Calgary taxpayers should be paying for it. Um, But you're not done investigating this. Why don't you tell us what you still have in the works?
2: Oh gosh, yeah. So deep breath, right? (laughs) Um, A little bit more undercover work. Um, There's gonna be, there's some different pride events taking place in Calgary, uh, just in the next little bit here that I, I hope to cover. Um, if I will don a disguise the entire time, I'm not entirely sure. And I won't give that up entirely either, but, uh, there's also some other a tips that, uh, we've filed for access to inter- information for, uh, so b- to be able to provide that to the audience so that everyone is aware of how much their cities are spending on this program, I think is very worth noting, um, as well, by the end of it, I'd like to put together a conglomerate so that, uh, we know in general, how much Canada is, uh, paying for this narrative to be, um, indoctrinated into the children. So, yeah, lots yes. to come, but uh, we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, remember this every time you're driving down your road and there's a huge pothole that the city hasn't fixed, and it's so deep that it knocks the hubcap off your car and your earrings out of your ear. Remember that they decided to spend $70,000 to pay drag performers to read to little ki- children in the public library. And when they say, oh, we don't have any extra money to build a skate park so that kids play outside remember where the city opted to spend your money. Uh, Celine, thank you so much for um, trying to dig down and bring some transparency to this. Um, I, I think no matter where you fall down on this issue, uh, I think one side of this argument is not entirely honest about what is transpiring at these events and why they're happening. And I'm I'm so excited for you to bring some clarity to the taxpayers of other municipalities. Um, you know your cities are wanting more of your money than ever and they should be accountable for where they're spending that money celine thanks so much we'll have you back on again very very soon absolutely thank you so much for having me stay with us your letters to ezra up after the break Well, this brings us to the portion of the show where we welcome your viewer feedback. You see, unlike the mainstream media who are just so happy to have Justin Trudeau give your money to them and then obviously never hear from you again or block you on social media or close the comment section, we actually want to know what you think about the work that we're doing here at Rebel News. So we do take your questions, we take your comments, we take your feedback. Now... On a monologue I did last week when I was also filling in for Ezra Levant on Queen Romana Digila, for those of you who don't know who she is, she is a bit of an internet cult leader. I think she has about 60,000 followers on Telegram because she's been basically expunged from every other social media platform. She is someone who has tried to attach herself to the freedom movement here in Canada She claims that Queen Elizabeth was executed by the Canadian military. No, sorry, the American military. It's a very complicated story. But then the American military installed her as the new Queen of Canada, which solves all of our Justin Trudeau problems. It's insane. Anyway, John Ben Jehovah writes... Klaus Schwab said in one of his World Economic Forum videos, be prepared for an angry world. Mad, meaning insane. You know, she is probably crazy, although I'm not a doctor and I'm not sure I can make that medical diagnosis, but she is simply, as I said in my monologue, a creation Of the failings of all the institutions of Canada that should have defended people and their rights over the last two years. Times have been so crazy and so unsettling and so disorienting and people could not rely on the things they knew to be true, that their reality has been shattered and blown apart. They couldn't count on the politicians. They couldn't count on the court system. They couldn't count on the police. They couldn't count on academia. They couldn't count on their jobs. They couldn't even count on their local burger place. They couldn't even count on their families. Some of them were thrown out of their families for certain medical choices. So when all the things you knew to be true are suddenly untrue, it shakes your stability and reality. And when that happens... People like Queen Romana just step in to pick up the pieces and exploit the damage that other people have caused. And unfortunately, instead of showing some understanding and some grace to people who are struggling during these times, politicians and the media are mocking them and maligning them and making it worse. And that is only driving people deeper into the clutches of a cult predator like Queen Romana. And so I think the politicians, they bear some responsibility for just how many followers she does have, because I think the politicians have probably created some of those people. Now, Rouser writes on the same story, she burned a Canadian flag at a protest, referring again to Queen Romana. And uh, that's no surprise, although that doesn't really seem like something the new Queen of Canada would do. Um, I also saw online that the new royal diet in Canada includes cut up vegetables and cans of sardines. I did see that when Queen Romana pulled up in her crowdfunded Mini Winnie Winnebago, uh, she popped out and she had offered cut up vegetables and sardines to the people who had gathered there to greet her. And again, seems crazy. But for some people who have been tossed aside by their families because of their medical choices that might be the only act of kindness those people have received in a very long time. And the good reminder here is that we probably should be nicer to each other, because along will come a predator to be nice to people and curry loyalty from those people. And it could end poorly. On David's interview regarding a veteran offered physician-assisted suicide by Veterans Affairs, the old one writes, The UN World Economic Forum agenda for depopulating the world and eliminating useless eaters was put into action some time ago. It has escalated since the pandemic. They're killing seniors and people with disabilities, including children. You know, eugenics always finds a way to rear its ugly head. And it was progressives back in the early 1900s who thought that they could create a better class of humanity. Through, for lack of a better term, animal husbandry. But when you also think that you can create a better class of humans, that leaves the problem of what to do with the people who are not in that better class of humans you've created. And, you know, that leads us into the whole Nazi agenda, but it also has some overlays with environmentalism who see. People like me who love our SUVs and burning our garbage is a plague upon society. People like me who have three happy, healthy children instead of just one. Um, and we've seen it now with medically assisted suicide. When you see people who are calculating the cost to the healthcare system, the rationed health care system here in Canada, looking at a sick person and seeing the dollar signs instead of the humanity and saying, well, wouldn't it be a lot easier to just end this problem now? It's creating a culture of death, and I'm old enough to remember not all that long ago when social conservatives like me were being called reactionary when we said, medically assisted death is going to take the society in a bad place where it is not just reserved for the sickest amongst us, and here we are. We have veterans who have already been told by Justin Trudeau that they're asking for more than he can give being offered medically assisted suicide just to get them off the cases of Veterans Affairs. It's revolting. Well, everybody, that's the show for tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, Thank you to everybody in studio in Toronto who puts the show together and everybody who works behind the scenes all across the country here at Rebel News to make sure that the show is clickable and ready for you when you're ready for it. Thanks to Ezra for trusting me to fill in for the show tonight. And as Ezra always says, keep fighting for freedom.
1: I'm Jeremy Lafredo for Rebel News in Burdenham, Pennsylvania, a remote Amish village home to Miller's Organic Meat and Dairy Farm. Recently, armed federal agents raided the farm and demand they cease operations and pay over $300,000 in fines. Miller's operation is entirely holistic and natural. Whether it's the water buffalo, the cattle, or even the camels, the animals live, as Miller argues, how God intended, and eat fully organic diets, munching only on wild plants, flowers, and the bugs in their pasture. The federal government is arguing that Miller's farm isn't adhering to federal regulatory requirements for food. Miller, his community, and his thousands of customers counter that the federal government mandates food be prepared in ways that make it less healthy and nutritious. Federal agents continue to pay him visits and threaten his farm, crippling the business economically with over $300,000 in outstanding fines. Veteran journalist Michael Yoder is a longtime customer of Amos Miller's farm and has been closely covering the story for a local newspaper. Yoder explained that he believes the government wants to use a successful, independent farmer as an example for other American farmers who aren't dependent on some larger institution such as the federal government or a multinational corporation.
3: Personally, I think they want to use Amos as an example to make sure that other farmers, especially farmers in this area, do not try to do what Amos has done, which is to sell directly to the customers. When you have direct-to-consumer right from the farmer to the customer, there's less control that the government can have over the operation.
1: He also explained that the Amish farmland in Lancaster, Pennsylvania is some of the most productive, highest-yielding, non-irrigated farmland in the world, and that the people there have a special familial connection to the land land that special interests would very much enjoy to get their hands on. This land has been in production
3: for 250 years. Many of the farms are still in the same families. The farmers are tied, literally tied to the land and want to do the best for the land. They're not out there to try to destroy the land. They are they want their land to be productive and they know that if it's more productive, then they can feed more people.
1: The courts are demanding Miller fork over more than a quarter million dollars in fines and cease operations until he begins to go through USDA processors to process his meat. It's Miller's view that these government-approved facilities are actually less sanitary than his own private operation, which I saw as extraordinarily clean, and he argued the way the government facilities process meat actually kills or, quote, sanitizes important nutrients. Miller explained that because his farm doesn't use chemical fertilizers, herbicides or patented seeds, which are chiefly manufactured by industry giants with strong ties to the government, they're using the power of the government to shut him down.
4: I think the problem we're having in this country is that corporate America is taking over and the the corporations, I think, put the uh, uh, people in government through lobbying. They're having the government on their side and basically making it hard
1: for farmers to be farmers. Miller is legally arguing that because he's selling to what he calls a private food club, not the open market, certain rules and regulations of the federal government don't apply to him. And the customers are buying meat and dairy from his farm explicitly because the food isn't processed and manufactured at these giant industrial facilities and instead are grown, fed and processed right here on the land. Some come from Florida, California, North Carolina, basically all over. uh,
4: They are seeking uh, nutrient-dense foods, raw meat, uh, raw buffalo milk, raw camel milk. They, so far they trust us for uh, the animals being out on grass and they can actually see the color in in, in the, uh, the fat of the beef uh, and the milk. Actually, there's no food coloring added. It has its nice color and that actually comes from the nutrient density of the animals feeding grass.
3: I think customers come here because they know that they can get an honest product that they know is being produced here. It's not just words on a label that say it's organic or it's, it's local, that you can come here and you can see this is as local as it
1: gets. Amos, despite being raided by armed U.S. Marshals and facing hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines, explained that farmers need to stand strong.
4: We farmers need to stand together and uh, stay strong. And uh, we need to make sure the government... We we can't just fall for the government's rules and regulations because the big corporations want to take over. And at the other note, we need consumers. um, We need their support and uh, stand strong and just tell the senators, the congressmen, how important small farms are. Uh, No farmers means no food. So we all need to work together in this.